Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Daniel 8, verse number 9, the Bible starting says, And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And it, was, it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it, cast, and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it was cast down, the tr- and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. Amen. Let's pray tonight. The Lord would help us open our minds and understanding and just give us clarity all over lord jesus i pray here tonight that you're able to help us god i pray oh lord for every lord mind to breathe under lord jesus subjection god to your spirit i pray oh lord today god that you're able to help us god mark any error from my lips any error god from my mind right now god can do lord jesus what you would want what you would desire lord jesus in this place i pray oh lord jesus grant us understanding We need that, Lord, this evening. I know you're able to help us with it. God will thank you and praise you, God, for what you do. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're all over here on one side, and everybody looks like they're friends with one another. Isn't that nice and kind? I don't know if you remember we had a handout like this. If you were here two weeks ago, that is. You had a handout just like this. And on the bottom, and I'm just kind of just doing this for a little bit of a, a refresher, just a tidbit. I'm not going to refresh much. Uh, with Daniel chapter number 8, two weeks ago, uh, what we looked at were things, Daniel's second vision, he was very explicit in what he saw. Uh, he seen that ram that had two horns, one went up higher than the other, and the higher one came up at last. Uh, the interpretation, very explicit, he said that was the Medo-Persian Empire, and we looked at that. Also, within his vision was uh, the male, the he goat uh, that came, and uh, there was upon that male he goat one great horn or notable horn, as the scripture describes it. It later describes that that notable horn became broken, and out of it then came four horns, and uh, they became seemingly notable. And then we come to the point in scripture where we are tonight where out of one of those, out of one of those four horns came a little horn. And again, uh, the Spirit of the Lord was very explicit in the interpretation of that to tell us very plainly that that was the Grecian Empire. So we're not, you know, we're not searching for meaning here. We know exactly uh, what those two things represent and what they mean. But with that being said, we have uh, what is issued as another little horn. A little horn that is here in Daniel chapter number 8 and a little horn that we looked at in Daniel chapter number 7. Now we know pretty, uh, pretty confidently in Daniel chapter number 7 that that little horn uh, did in fact represent uh, the Antichrist that is to come in the last days. But what we are toying with now and grappling with in our minds is a comparison about whether or not the little horn of Daniel chapter number 7 is the same as the little horn of Daniel chapter number 8. And I don't know if necessarily I have a concise, uh, complete, uh, no question answer for you. All right, concerning that. Again, in our little comparison chart, whenever we looked at the, the two different horns, the little horn of Daniel chapter number 7, uh, if you remember, there were 10 horns on that last beast that came from the sea. And then there arose a little horn, the Bible says, that little horn, which you might want to call the 11th horn, if there were 10, took out three of the others. And so that was upon that last beast, which was, in essence, a a symbol or representation of the revived Roman Empire. 
all right? And it would persecute then uh, the, the people, what it called the saints, and we've already talked about that, so I can't digress and go back, but it would, it would persecute them for uh, t- uh, times and time and the dividing of time which we come to understand to be three and a half years or the 42 months that was even spoke of in Revelation chapter 13, even of the Antichrist. But in Daniel chapter number eight, we have this other little horn, and, uh, but it comes up on this he-goat, which is a representation of the Grecian Empire. So you had one that came up on the Roman Empire, one that came up on uh, the Grecian Empire. And so there's four horns, and so there's a, a, a fifth, I guess you could call it, that comes up, but it comes up from one of the four horns, one of those divisions. And we'll see even later tonight, whenever it speaks about the amount of time that it would trample upon the people uh, of God, uh, that there were a couple angels speaking back with each other, and Daniel heard this, and actually the answer and response was actually given to Daniel that it was going to occur for 2,300 days, or 2,300 days, or six years, four months, 20 days. And so the question is, then, are they the same, or are they the different? I don't know if I have an absolute answer for you if they are, but I think I can help your thinking, maybe, if you want to deduce or come to a, a, a conclusion yourself. And maybe, maybe it's just that there's some things that apply to both. Also, two weeks ago, I, I, I threw out there concerning this passage of Scripture because the water can get a little muddy. Uh, there can be the questions that we're dealing with is, is everything in Daniel chapter number 8, does that all apply to, from our standpoint in time, does that all apply to a historical figure by the name of Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes? Does that all apply to him? Or does all this in chapter number 8 apply to the last days, the last day Antichrist? Or has all of this already taken place? Or is all this still yet to take place? Or is there a little bit of a jarbling of the two? Meaning, uh, like we've looked at before, is there a dual fulfillment? Uh, Does it apply for Antiochus Epiphanes? And it also then applies for the last day Antichrist. Or, (laughs) I know a lot of ors in there, or is it that this was something that was in part uh, fulfilled historically through Antiochus Epiphanes, and he stood as a type, something that prefigured even what the Antichrist was going to be on a larger, more intense level, even than what it was. Now, for anybody that hasn't been here up to this point in time, this is your first time here, and you're saying, what in the world? You're just right in the right basket, okay? That's what you should be saying at this point in time. Uh, if you've missed 14 weeks, you, that's exactly what you should be saying. There's no way uh, that I can recap all of this. So in all of that, I, I do, in all of that, I do lean on something. And what I lean on personally as we go through this tonight, I lean on the fact that I believe that Daniel chapter number 8, the latter verses in particular in the ter- interpretation I believe that there is a little bit of a dual fulfillment and a little bit of something that's prefigured. There were some of those things that applied to Antiochus Epiphanes that could also apply to the Antichrist. But there were some things that I believe in those verses of Scripture that only apply to Antiochus. And there's some of those things that I believe only apply to the Antichrist. And so there's a little, uh, there's a little mixed bag uh, there, in my opinion, from, from, from my studying. But the, the Scripture says in, in Daniel 8 and verse number 9, if we can just start there where we start, start at the beginning when you don't know where else to start, right? And so it says, And out of one of them came forth a little horn. Now, it's important again to realize the context in which this is set. It's saying out of one of them, and the them refers back to the four horns that came up on this ego. The reason why I got this up here tonight, I didn't know if I did anything pictorially might help somebody's confusion out here this evening. All right? And so I'm going to try. This is not not the best uh, writing against uh, scenario, but we're going to do our best here this evening. I'm doing this just for all the pictorial people, and that might mean all the men and none of the ladies. <laughs> Amen. And so if you're looking for a very artistic ram, forget it, or he go, forget it. It's not happening through this hand, but you'll get the idea. This, 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 this is my ram, okay? This is my ram, but, or, or my, this is my he goat. This is my he-goat, rather. My he-goat. But this, I'm telling you, it might help somebody out. This is the Grecian Empire, all right? This he-goat. And if you're having problems to know really what that is, it's a he-goat. Take my word for it. It's the Grecian Empire. Remember, it started in Scripture. It had a notable horn. That's its notable horn. As time went on, though, and this notable horn is Alexander. 
Remember Alexander the Great? That's the notable horn. As time went, that horn became broken. What happened? Alexander died. He died. The horn got broken. So instead of that, my nice little he-goat over here, now in, instead of that one horn comes up four horns up on this head. These four horns are the top generals of Alexander's army. Y'all laughing, this will help somebody, I'm telling you right now. This, these now are instead of this, he's died, he's off the picture, but these four horns come in place. They're the top generals of Alexander's army. Uh, Cassandra, uh, Lysimachus, uh, uh, Ptolemy, and uh, there's another one. I don't know if I even have it in my notes here. There was just one more, Seleucus. But these are the four top generals, so that's what happened. But now the Bible says, out of one of them, the them are these four horns. One, two, three, four. Out of one of them comes a little horn. There in verse number nine. So out of them, on one of these, through one of these divisions, because the four top generals were basically over the four directions of the world of that time, north, south, east, and west, so you could even look at those four horns being four directions because each general was over a period of those directions. So you could, you could look at this being east and west and south and north. Out of one of these came a little horn. All right? And this is the little horn of Daniel chapter number 8. All right? That's what the Scripture says. So this little horn comes out of what's known as the Grecian Empire. Now, some believe that the little horn, some do believe that the little horn of Daniel 8 is synonymous, believe this little horn of Daniel 8 is Antiochus. Sorry, I, if I don't have my hand back there, it bounces. Some believe that this little horn is Antiochus. That's a historical figure for you and I. For Daniel, it was not a historical figure. He had not yet arrived on the scene. At Daniel's time, it was still prophecy speaking of a man but for you and I we look backwards say well that that's that's history but some believe that little horn was Antiochus now a lot of this tonight is going to be uh, the dreaded history that some of you would just like just to hate Antiochus came out of one of the kingdoms we know what kingdom he came out of he came out of the kingdom that Seleucus was over we know that historically, that Antiochus came out of the Seleucus dynasty or the Seleucus uh, uh, kingdom. Now, we, we have historical, I mean, real historical evidence concerning Antiochus. Uh, there's secular history concerning Antiochus, and there's other, uh, can't always call it dependable history. It's something that many have probably heard of. How many ever heard of the Apocrypha? You heard of the Apocrypha? If anybody's ever owned a Catholic Bible, you're probably well aware what the Apocrypha is. But uh, the apocrypha, the word apocrypha itself means questionable in authenticity. So uh, that there should give you a little clue right away. It means questionable concerning authenticity. Whenever uh, they uh, took the scripture, they, they called the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, the canon of scripture, which basically means it's just the standard of scripture. It's the inspired, genuine word of God. Well, there is no absolute proof that the Apocrypha was inspired by God, inspired written word of God, like these 66 books are that we hold in, in our hands tonight. Um, there were, in the number changes, uh, there used to be like around 15 books in the Apocrypha. That number sometimes varies. They add a little bit more or put some books together. That number has not stayed consistent or the same. And uh, there are a lot of people thought that it's just full of uh, false material uh, that wasn't necessarily inspired by God. However, uh, through history, and from my studying, uh, the book of 1 Maccabees in the Apocrypha, the first book of Maccabees, covers the period of time of 40 years from the ascension of Antiochus to the death of Simon the Maccabee. And it has been said, and from my study, everything that I could read, that 1 Maccabees is the only one of the Maccabees that can be regarded as a reliable historical source out of all of them. Some of them are questionable. They say 1 Maccabees is the only one that can be a reliable historical source. And so with that being said, it holds the history of Antiochus within 1 Maccabees. And so they regard it as a reliable source. So if you were to read 1 Maccabees, you would read some things about Antiochus that are probably more than, than probable uh, true to secular history. And we have secular history we can bounce that off of 
which is what many have done to be able to say Maccabees was a reliable source, all right, to validate what, Ma- what was written in Maccabees. But nevertheless, this little horn, the Bible says, it started out little, but the Bible says it waxed exceedingly great. All right? In other words, whenever it first came on the scene, it might seem very insignificant, if I could say it like that. Uh, didn't seem like a real pose a real threat but it became exceedingly great the scripture says in verse number nine toward the south toward the east and toward the pleasant land now if you'll indulge me again for some history tonight Antiochus this character Antiochus ascended to the throne after his nephew was murdered his nephew was murdered by another man and so he ascended uh, the throne and a little horn this little horn it waxed exceedingly great it's very very significant to understand that uh, because Antiochus in and of himself had no claim to the throne didn't have no claim to the throne at all and so he rose out of significance not really having any claim to the throne but he took the throne uh, even whenever he didn't even deserve the throne he took the throne and so through what he did was through flattery and through some bribing and so on and so forth, he seized his brother's throne. And whenever he got the throne, of course, that insignificant person grew. Once you, get the, once you take the throne or a kingship, he grew then in significance and in power and in domination and grew great in power because a lot of his warring and domination is and was As the scripture portrays, it was toward the south, toward Egypt. Historically, you can read. It was toward the east, toward Babylon and Persia. And it was toward the beautiful land or the pleasant land that we, I think, have indicated a couple weeks ago to be even Israel. Now, Daniel chapter 8 and verse number 10, if I could have tonight. The Bible says, and it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Now, I'll tell you right away that verses like 10 and 11, you can read all kinds of scholars and a lot of people have a little difficulty understanding these verses. And so I'm not going to shed light on something nobody else understands, but maybe just a little bit. All right. They have a lot of difficulty about, well, all this means he waxed great even to the host of heaven. Like what in the world does it really mean to wax great toward the host of heaven? Even casting down some of the host of heaven, the scripture says, and even some of the stars uh, to the ground. Uh, Just a point in case. This is just for consideration. Whenever it's speaking about the host of heaven and along with that, uh, the stars, some of those that may have been cast down to the ground, I'm concerning and considering that some of the stars could be talking about the Jewish people. And this is the reason why. Remember whenever Joseph had his dream about becoming a great ruler? Remember whenever he had his first dream? It was described as he seen the moon and he seen the sun and 12 stars that was bowing down to him. The interpretation of that, the moon and the sun was his mother and father. The 12 stars were the 12 tribes of Israel, which was the very fountainhead of the whole nation. And so 12 stars were the 12 tribes of Israel, or if you will, the nation of Israel. So I, I'm thinking that perhaps these, these the waxing great and getting the host of heaven, even the stars, that maybe snafu in some of the Israelites, the Jewish people, amen, and bring them down to the ground. Along with that, consider again, whenever God first spoke to Abraham before he ever had a son and said, you're going to have a great nation, you're going to have many descendants, he says, look at the stars, Can you number them? No. He said, well, that's how your descendants are going to be. Again, stars referencing uh, the nation of Israel or the Israelites. So I believe that there's a possibility that uh, what this is speaking of, the host of heaven, the stars in particular, is representing the nation or the whole tribe or nation of Israel, that Antiochus would come in and subvert some of them, press some of them down uh, to the ground, if you're sure, but... Uh, by and large the the meaning is absolutely uncertain by many Daniel 8 verse number 11 the Bible says yea he magnified himself even to the prince of the host and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of his sanctuary which would have been the Jewish temple at that time cast down now we, we can stay right here from that this vantage point from some of what we've already said that sounds real similar to some things that the Antichrist is going to do 
And see, so that, I believe that. I believe that. That's the reason where I see there can be a dual fulfillment of someone historical like Antiochus and still yet for the Antichrist because the Antichrist is going to do that. He's going to cause the daily sacrifice to seize and he's going to come into the sanctuary and proclaim himself to be God. And so we can see that. But we can see also how this character Antiochus may have prefigured that already. But we see that oftentimes in history, folks. We see there's been certain people come to power that's been ruthless, very vindictive, and just horrid. Actually, leaders that I believe many of them have been nothing but a prefiguring of a worse to come in the latter days. We've had the Hitlers, the Mussolinis, all of these others that you could probably name off through history, particularly over in that area of the world that has rose on the scheme, has done some horrid things, but I believe is just setting this up for a worse scale uh, of the Antichrist in the last days. The Bible says, continuing on verse number 12, and a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. Now, Concerning, though, right now we're considering this Antiochus fellow of how this may apply to him, how this may be something that was prophecy for Daniel, history for us, but part of this was fulfilled by him. Antiochus, whenever he took and assumed that throne, uh, he started to mint some coins. Uh, I guess that's what you'd do if you become king, start minting some money. He minted some coins, and a lot of times they would have the image of whoever the ruler was upon them. But he went a little further than that, and he put a certain inscription upon the coin. And the inscription he put was Theos Antiochus Theos Epiphanes, which basically means this, Antiochus God Manifest. And so with that, what is this man doing? He's professing himself to be a god. And so with that, we see then in verse number 11 how this could apply, how he was magnifying himself even to the prince of the host. Because who is the prince of the heavens and the prince of the stars? God is the prince of all these things. And to put upon these coins, an archaeologist to, to validate this, archaeologists have found about 126 of these coins uh, with this inscription on them, him, his, this proclamation through the money of calling himself, magnifying himself, if you will, against the prince of the host. But in addition to that, historically, Antiochus decreed, whenever he took the throne and such, that all Jewish sacrifices were deceased. Antiochus did that. As a matter of fact, around 167 B.C., uh, Antiochus outlawed the Jewish religion altogether. He burned Jerusalem. He killed multitudes of Jews. He forbade the Jews from circumcising their children on the eighth day. And remember, all the way back at Abraham, circumcision was the distinctive factor that said this is a Hebrew child, not an Egyptian, or not this child. This was the mark of distinction uh, for the Hebrews. But he says, I want to blur or take away that mark of distinction. Antiochus did. He forbade that. As a matter of fact, many times if he found that a child had been uh, circumcised, uh, that child would be killed, strung around its mother's neck, and then that mother taken to a precipice, thrown down and stoned. Antiochus, this is him. As a matter of fact, even other Jewish observances he stopped. He desecrated the scriptures, uh, the scrolls, the scriptures, the manuscripts. And, uh, and the way that he did this, he put blasphemous drawings upon them and put drawings of Greek gods over top of them. So that is a way that perhaps he could have, to a certain way, uh, cast down truth to the ground because the word of God is truth. That's what scripture tells us. He said, my word is truth. And so to, to desecrate with all these things, he have cast it down, but he cast it down in more ways than just that. But here's how all this spin came about and this history started with Antiochus. He sought as he went south to conquer Egypt. Remember, he's pushing toward the south. He's exceeding great toward the south. He's going toward Egypt. But there were some ships from Rome that met him and told him that you can't have Egypt because if you start picking a fight with Egypt, you're going to pick a fight with Rome. If you pick a fight with Egypt, Rome's going to come and you're going to have a war on your hands. Well, that made Antiochus mad because he couldn't have what he wanted without getting a bigger fight that he probably couldn't, you know, couldn't tackle, couldn't get a hold of. And so he was mad. And so, again, think now, Egypt is south, all right? Egypt's down here. So Antiochus lived up in a place called Samaria. All right, I can't spell. And he was going from Egypt to Samaria. You know, in order to do that, you've got to pass through Israel you got to go past Jerusalem so we have somebody that didn't get his way he's mad now just think for a moment 
what happens whenever people don't get their way? They got to take out their anger on something, don't they? So Antiochus is going back. He's a mad little boy. <laughs> going back, he's frustrated because he couldn't have Egypt. And he's on his way back home to Samaria. But on his way through, he's going through Israel. He's passing by Jerusalem. And so he starts to take out his anger then on the Jews and upon Jerusalem. And he begins to wreak havoc all throughout Israel and Jerusalem in particular. Amen. And he starts a reign then of treachery and a reign of intrigue. And he, he, he sent his general. He had a general in his army. He sent his general with 20,000 troops to go and siege and take control of Jerusalem. Note now, particular though, he wanted him to go and siege Jerusalem on the Sabbath. The day of rest. The day when there is no work. There's a reason why, though, because since that is a day of rest and no work, you know what the Jews said? We d we're not fighting on the Sabbath. So he said, I'm going to send them on the Sabbath because if I send them on the Sabbath, they won't fight back. So they're easy prey. But all this will make just even a little bit more sense even later, though, why th this, this happens. Because the Bible says, uh, if, I, if I could jump ahead a little bit, if I could find it in my Bible, the Bible basically says that this man will come, here it is, in verse 25, we'll get to it again later. But it says, And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. Because he took advantage of their time of peace, he was able to destroy a good portion of the people. In one attack, folks, because of that, in one attack on Jerusalem, and the numbers vary, so I just put it above the, the smallest number I came across. In one attack, above 40,000 people were killed, Jews, that is, in Jerusalem because of this attack. Above 10,000 of them were sold or taken into captivity, sold into slavery or took into captivity. Whenever he entered in there, he plundered through their blessed temple. He took the treasures of the house of God. He carried off with the golden altar of incense and also the golden lampstand. Uh, the temple chambers that were in the exterior around about uh, the temple where people had come to worship God, he now established in those chambers rooms for prostitution throughout the temple chambers and those became brothels basically uh, along the temple if that is a, a desecrating of the temple then I don't know what is according to historians on December the 16th of 167 BC this is the extent of Antiochus here he offered a pig now first of all that's very important because a pig to the Jew that's among the list of unclean animals that's not an animal to be sacrificed he's in the temple with a pig an unclean animal, and he sacrificed it on the Jews' altar. Now, this is sacrilege right here. This is, this is horrible for a Jew. And the history account claims that the fluids, the blood of this pig, gushed out of this pig that he had slaughtered, and he, he made it where it could just get all over the altar, and he took this gushing blubbered pig throughout the temple and let its fluids just go all over everything he could get it on as it lasted throughout the temple so this fluids of this unclean animal is everything everywhere rather so this is really not only that so you know all times whenever there's a sacrifice there's a portion of the meat that's given to the priest he forced pork down the throats of the priest they weren't to eat this he forced it down the throats of the priest and said from now on the only thing you're allowed to worship here is Zeus, Bacchus, Saturn, etc. False gods, heathen gods. Furthermore, he erected in the house, the temple of God, a statue of a false god by the name of Zeus in the sanctuary of the holy God. He erected that. And that event to the Jews, to the Jews, that event, all of that taking place, the, 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 the pig being slaughtered, the statue being set up, all this horrid thing taking place, that to the Jews... Uh, in that time era was known to them even as the abomination desolation now we hear of abomination desolation spoken of in even New Testament scripture that is still yet or has taken place that's in the history of, of the Antichrist coming up uh, and the, abomina the abomination desolation of Antiochus again I believe prefigures that abomination desolation Jesus spoke in Matthew 24 and verse 15 he says when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet now uh, I'm not speaking about what's in chapter 8 in chapter number 9 Daniel speaks about the abomination desolation that will happen that's still future from his from his point of view but he says whenever you hear whenever you hear of that which was spoken by Daniel stand in the holy place whoso readeth let him also understand now 
Antiochus, he did all this horrible stuff. It comes to pass that he has, uh, he leaves this world. He has a chariot crash. I know that's something, a chariot crash. They had automobile accidents back then. But he had a chariot, he had a chariot crash. And as a result of that, he was left very sorely wounded, uh, Antiochus was. And so while he was uh, trying to recover, he contracted a very loathsome bowel disease. Uh, said it was a horrible uh, odor that was surrounded his body said they even and I'm not trying to get too graphic said there was worms that was coming out of Antiochus's body and so his life ended in a horrible fashion but it's important to note that he did not die by the hand of man he died by the hand of God due to insanity and this horrible bowel disease and so that satisfies verse 25 where it's speaking about this character or this little horn of Daniel 8 which we're looking at right now through the view and lens of it being Antiochus that the Bible said that he was broken without hand in other words it didn't require the hand of man remember in Daniel 2 the stone that was carved out without hand that referred to God it being without hand he was broken without hand again reference that this was a God factor which I understand God's in anything I realize when we get off this or God's in it but you understand what I'm saying it wasn't by virtue of someone uh, killing him or piercing him through Daniel chapter number 8 and verse number 13 if we can go on boy I thought I'd go quicker than this let's get going my goodness stop slowing down then I heard one saint speaking. Now this is a conversation that Daniel's listening to. It's a couple angels, it says saints, but it's a couple basically angels that are talking back and forth to each other. So said, I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint, get your saints right, okay, which spake, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice? Under how long is this going to be seized? How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice? And the transgression of desolation that's real similar to abomination desolation even but and to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot how long is this going to happen and he said to me now this is Daniel saying this they asked the questions Daniel got the response and he said to me unto 2,300 days then shall the sanctuary be cleansed so two angels are talking they're saying how long is the daily sacrifice is going to be ceased how long is this host going to be trampled down? And the responses to Daniel, he said to me, he's going to trample them underfoot for 2,300 days. Amen. And no doubt that answer was for Daniel's comfort. That is not going to be forever. And maybe it was also for the comfort of the Jewish people. But the angel said it would last for 2,300 days. Or if you will, and let's consider just for a moment. I've got erasers here and there. 20, 2,300 days. And I don't know if people in the back can really see, but that's all right. 2,300 days. Now, there are some that take 2,300 days and they look at this concept of day because in Genesis, Genesis chapter number one, you see repeated again and again that the Bible says uh, evening, right? And the morning was one day you see again throughout the creative the first, first chapter of the Bible and the evening you see what was done in the evening and morning was it second day in the evening morning was the third day in the morning blah, 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 and so on and so forth and so with that being said there's people that take this 2300 days in this evening and morning and they say well what that was was that was 2300 2300 evenings and I'm just going to abbreviate evenings and mornings Collectively, There was 2,300 evening and mornings, basically meaning that was 1,150 evenings and 1,150 mornings, which if that was the case, that would be only 1,150 days. Now, there's other people, there's particular denomination, I'm not mentioning that here, that says there's 2,300 days. Says, well, you know what the scripture says? that a thousand days, a thousand years is just one day, one day is a thousand years. And so they've taken the 23, they say those 23,000, 2300 days are 2300 prophetic years. And those people that said that have counted that and it goes, I don't remember the year 18 something, that now all of this has already occurred and happened because of eight, I think it's 1840 something if you went from the time present forward and, uh, but folks, listen, and I think this is a good, good principle of interpretation to live by. If the, normal makes, if the normal sense makes good sense, seek no other sense. All right? 
2,300 days. I think we can all reckon with that. 2,300 days. But if you will, and, and I just kind of, I sat down this evening just a little bit because this was two weeks ago and I sat down and I was looking through everything I had uh, compiled and uh, as I sat down, I started considering this, this uh, might have to have somebody stand back there and hold my, hold my wall for me, I'm telling you. But uh, I started considering that and looking at, at these two different scenarios uh, that had been expressed here. Uh, first of all, if you will look for a moment and I want to get, let me just go on and mark this down too if I can get it here. Uh, 2,300 days, if you were to take those 30 days in a month, the lunar calendar, that's six years, four months, 20 days, all right? Six year, four month, 20 days. Now this down here, I believe is three year, uh, I think it's two months. I'll go back over here and just make sure I'm right in 10 days. Someone say, yeah. Someone already figured it up in their head. Good. 20 days. And so there is a difference uh, whenever you consider those two. Now, to correlate the time, to correlate the time of this uh, six-year, four-month, 20-day, they look at, many people do, scholars try to correlate the time that whenever Antiochus, we're still talking about Antiochus here, and let me put him up here in case anybody forgets him. Don't want anybody to forget good old Antiochus. Uh, Antiochus, and that should be actually a, a, a U, not an O, um, Antiochus went into and began oppressing the Jews. Here's a date for you. On September the 6th, let me get the year here because I have the slightest idea. September the 6th of 171 B.C. All right? Whenever they came and there was the uh, cleansing of the temple, after everything had been desecrated, but later they cleansed the temple and all of that was over, where the temple was cleansed, which is actually what Jews still celebrate today, being Hanukkah, all right? Hanukkah took place on, I'm going to put it up here just for the sake of it, December the 25th, and what's the year? It is 165 B.C., all right? Now, just walk with me here for a moment. Is everybody Okay. I, I just started looking this afternoon, so if it, year will be all right. Now, remember, we're in B.C., so years don't count up, they count down, all right? So I'm just looking at, I'm just going to go to the next year in September, all right? 170, 169. Man, you all good. 168, thank you, Don, my wife. 167, huh? 166, put a one there. 165 165 now if I were to reckon that from there that's 1 2 3 4 5 6 alright but it's, it's in the 12th month so if I can go is that getting too low for people let's go 10 11 12 and this is all of the 165 alright oops 165 165, all right? Is everybody okay with that? All right, so I'm going from here to here. That's one month. That's two. That's three, okay? Is everybody all right? That's three. I'm saying three month. Oops. Now, here's the thing. Whenever we're considering, when we start going days, it was on the 6th. This is the 25th. Now, here's what you need to think about, okay? You know, you'd say, well, from uh, from 9-6 to... 10 6, that's a month. Not in reality. From 9 6 to 10 5 is a month. That would actually be the 30 days. All right? So if, if that is 9 6, and we're over here, if that is 9 6, 165, and, and, and it is, and we're going to start then, uh, yes, huh? Huh? Right. But we're not starting 9 6 here because we're actually we're ending at 5. You understand? 9 5 165 to make the. So we're actually starting at 5. So if you were to do that, is everybody okay? I know I don't mean. But if you were to go 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Everybody's saying already what it is, right? It's 20 days. 20 days. 
2,300 days. Now, I just did that to see because there was a little skepticism about which one it is, but I'm feeling pretty confident because whenever we go over here and we start this, and I'm not going through the whole process as I did over here, but you can, oh, you don't, you don't believe me? I'll do it. Huh? Oh, yeah. Man, don't you do that in my class. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> huh? I might have copied it down wrong. Four months, would I have three? Did I miss it one then? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. That's important. That's right. That ended up being six years, three months, 20 days. And that's a big puzzle, unless you know a little something about Jewish calendars. That is this. Every seven years in the Jewish calendar, they would add an extra month. It's termed what we know, what we would call a March 2nd, because their calendar starts in what is kind of like our April it started on Passover. You can read in Exodus chapter number 12. He said this will be the first of the year. This will be the beginning months of you. It's whenever they killed the Paschal lamb on the 14th day, the Bible says, of a bib, which was our April. All right? But nevertheless, uh, what they do, every seven years, there would be an extra month of 30 days added to them. Now, this is totally speculation for me. I realize that's six years, three months, 20 days. But who knows where that time period for the seven years started. If we could trace it back, somewhere in the middle of here, that seven-year year period could have ended and there could have been an extra 30 days added which would make up the other month for four. All right? I'm so glad you brought that up. I forgot all about that. But, so then if you go over here, though, and if you really want me to do this, huh? Okay. If you were to go over there, someone else needs it done. Um, you like me drawing, you know. If you go back over there and do that, you only come up with two years and ten days. Two years and ten days out of that, which is supposed to be three years, two months, and ten days. So even if the, a seven-year period lands in there, we're still lacking another month. We're still lacking another month and another year. You understand? Someone's not getting it. No. Let's look at it then. So we're starting the, the start date for this, uh, of this one in particular is what they say. What scholars try to reckon with this is that it was whenever Antiochus went in and he started to desecrate the temple with the pig, that that's when all of this came place. The date for that is, I'm going to leave that up there because that's where we're ending, okay? But the start date is 1225. Let me get the year right. This is what scholars try to reckon with it. I want to get the date right. I don't want to start off wrong. 167. 167. I'm sorry. Let me put one in. 167 B.C. Saying that's whenever he went in and desecrated the temple. The other one starts whenever he put up his own prophet and he first started oppressing them. But this is whenever he started desecrating the temple. So, again, if you start at 167, let's go down. 166. And then you have the 12. 160. Oops. Five. Now, that's just boom, boom, two years, right? It's on the twenty. It's on the twenty-fifth. And what did I do concerning it? Oh, I got the date wrong. See, I told you, y'all need to watch me. It's not on the twenty-fifth. It's on the sixteenth. So that's two years. But then, if you do the sixteenth, and so we're starting at the fifteenth, and you go the sixteenth, and you do the numbering to twenty-five, like I did before, you cut what? What? And if you do the 25 like you did before, you come up with 10 days. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 10, 10 days. So what I'm saying is this. Even if one of those seven-year cycles landed in the middle of that and gave you 30 extra days, you would still only be, you'd still only be two years and one month and ten days. You understand? It doesn't correlate then with the two, two, three years. You're still one month short and one year short. And so that's the reason then why I lean with the other. I lean on the other one more so than this one. 
that 2300 days is just literally just what scripture means it to say 2300 days and yes whenever they came on this particular day they came in and they cleansed the temple from everything that Antiochus had done that starts actually what's known as Hanukkah you've heard of that you know, celebrate Hanukkah, woohoo! But that's really important to the Jews because what they did, they went into the temple, they got the lampstand back in there, and they was going to re-cleanse it, and they were trying to find some untainted oil for the menorah. And they only found one cruise that had the pre-seal on it, which would have been just enough for one day. They put that oil in the menorah, according to tradition, and it lasted for all eight days. It was a miracle. It lasted for all eight days. And so they celebrate that still yet today. Hanukkah, it's been known as the Feast of Lights or the Feast of Dedication. And evidently, Jesus was privy to all that because Scripture bears it out. In John 10, Brother Tyler, in verse 22, the Bible says it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication. It's even mentioned of in Scripture, the Feast of Dedication. And it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. So it's not just something that's out there. It's something that's highly probable that happened. It's 801. Bishop got me up here early. That means I got more time. All right, let's row. Um, if you look at, is everybody doing okay? Yes, we're doing all right. Excellent. Amen. Uh, verse number 17. And I'm, I got a chart for you too that I, I was going to try to get through. I, you know, we'll just see. Um, matter of fact, let me just go and get that passing out. And there are just a few errors on this. I was looking over it today and seen some. I'll denote those to you. I was doing that in the midst of funeral activity last week, so... I made some errors uh, as far as some things didn't get on there. Uh, just you know, a printing issue, but some things didn't get on there. <clears throat> and uh, with all that being said, we're looking at this double fulfillment. And let me, let me, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip what, I just have a few quotes from different people that I have read concerning this idea of double fulfillment or Antiochus prefiguring uh, the Antichrist that's to come in the last day. We'll just look at this and let that be our, our uh, ending of a lesson here since it is the time it is. I'll just give one person because I lean, I put a nail in a sure place with Brother M.L. Walls, the Apostolic Pentecostal Minister. I read a lot of different, you know, things and there's other people that coincide, don't coincide. But he says, while Daniel is witnessing, no doubt is a type of what will happen during the tribulation of the last days, it does not appear what he is being shown here is just in reference to that time. So remember the walls saying it wasn't just something that for some time later, but even maybe for the time of Antiochus. Here we are, the horn of Daniel 8, Antiochus or Antichrist. Again, this may not answer it for you, but it might open up the idea that maybe there is a fulfillment back in the Antiochus time and for the Antichrist. And I, I numbered the rows so we could have a little... Uh, direction and I'll go and tell you where the mistakes are row number three column Antiochus uh, the last word after on should be Israel okay it got cut off uh, row number six and column Antiochus the word after the last word was should be grand it got cut off also row number eight column vision the, the, and where it says V11 magnifies himself to the to the well you can get rid of that other to that that's no importance there all right and since my little afternoon adventure through the numbers here, Brother uh, Brown, with the, the years and such, uh, number 12, uh, row 12, Antiochus column, the question mark d depends on how a person counts the 2,300 days or 2,300 evenings and mornings. I would just underline 2,300 days, scratch out the question mark, because I believe it could be a check mark, in my opinion, for Antiochus, uh, being that that comes out the way uh, that it does. All right? Here we go. We're going vision, interpretation, Antiochus, or Antichrist. How the vision interpretation might pertain to Antiochus and also to the Antichrist, one or the other, or neither, or just one. But in verses 17 and 18 in row number one, uh, it says, pertains to the time of the end. The scripture consistently says, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. In verse 19 it says, for shall be the last end of the indignation, for at the time appointed the end shall come. Now, if the time of the end that it's referencing there is the end of the Grecian Empire or the end of Antiochus' horrible acts, yeah, maybe possibility it could be Antiochus. I don't know. But for the Antichrist, previously, previous prophecy in Daniel clearly places the Antichrist at the end of the Great Tribulation, which occurs at the end of the age of the Gentiles, just prior to the second coming of the Lord where he sets up his kingdom. So if the end is talking about that end, 
then it very well could be the Antichrist. Role number two, verse nine, the vision is that this horn, remember, comes out of one of the four kingdoms of the Grecian Empire. You remember I did the drawing right there at the beginning for that grand thing. Verses 22 and 23 is the interpretation of that. It says, and arises, this thing arises in the latter time of their kingdom. And it's important to denote in verses 22 and 23, again, it is referencing in verse 22, the four kingdoms, those four uh, directions, those four divisions of Alexander the Great's empire. Now, for Antiochus, if their kingdom refers to the Grecian empire, then it could very well be, it could be Antiochus. Some uh, they bounce back and forth, whether Antiochus's reign was in the middle of the Grecian Empire or latter toward the end. So it could, it could perhaps uh, uh, speak of Antiochus. The Antichrist, now we know from the previous chapter, Daniel 7, that that horn came out of Rome. But here a little horn is coming out of the Grecian Empire. But, and I'm going to draw this because I knew a few weeks ago there were eyebrows raised concerning this. Whenever I said, could, could it be possible? Now, I believe the little horn could be Antiochus, and it could also reference the Antichrist. Could it be possible, though, since the little horn of Daniel 8 came out of Greece and the little horn of Daniel 7 came out of Rome? Let's consider again. Here is my grand he-goat, okay? Yeah. You teach your kids how to draw that one these days, I'm telling you. There are those four horns. That could be the four directions. I'm just going to put east, west, north, south. And I'm going to put this on the wrong. I think it was the east with Seleucia's kingdom. But anyway, a little, a little horn comes up on it. That's the little horn. Little. And this is the Grecian Empire. All right? Here's what we got to remember. The Grecian Empire was overtaken by another empire. It was a beast. Had ten horns. It was Rome. All right, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Had ten horns. The Bible says there came up a little horn, and it took out three. Now, here's the thing. Could the little horn of Rome had derived from Greece? Could derive from one of the four directions of the Greek empire that it swallowed up? Could have. I don't know. That is one of the most saving graces I have in pastoral ministries to be able to say, I don't know. I don't know. So in that respect, maybe the little horn could be the Antichrist because it could have came from Greece out of the four directions and appeared then in the kingdom of Rome because Rome swallowed up the Grecian Empire. Does that make any more sense for somebody that wasn't clear on that maybe uh, two weeks ago? If it confuses you more, it's just probably because of my rude drawing of, of my ego. That's where it is. <clears throat> Nevertheless, going on, roll number three, verse nine, grows toward the southeast in the pleasant land, which is Israel. We have no direct interpretation of that later in Scripture. However, we do know Antioch's, his, his military focus was on Egypt, the south, the eastern part of his kingdom where he ended up dying, and it was on Israel. We've seen all the havoc that took place there. The Antichrist, it could be a prophecy of the territory taken by the Antichrist. That's quite possible. Quite possible it happened. The, uh, row, row number four, uh, this individual or this little horn is spoken of as being ferocious and skilled in intrigue. He didn't use those exact words, but I'm just using those for our understanding. And yes, Antiochus was that. For the Antichrist, this is just scripture reference for you. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and 9 and 10, the Bible speaks of the Antichrist that signs and lying wonders with all deceivableness. That's the way that he operates. Well, that's, for, that's skilled in intrigue. That's understanding dark sayings as the scripture explains it and puts it. Row number 5, verse 24, under interpretation column. Mighty, but not by his own power. Now, some believe that don't qualify for Antiochus. But folks, the deeds that he did in the temple, shoving pork down a Jew's throat, and all this degradation, let me tell you something, he was operating by a power. Spiritually empowered. Just as I said, again, we've had leaders in the past. I believe they, man, whenever you look at the Holocaust and some of those things, I don't think that's a normal human being response. That's somebody that's being controlled by a power, satanic, uh, demonic power. So he's mighty, but not by his own power. 
uh, for the Antichrist. Could that apply to the Antichrist? Absolutely. Second Thessalonians 2.9, the Bible says who's coming, speaking of the Antichrist, is after the working of Satan with all power. The Bible then describes in Revelation 13.2, the beast, what we've seen was the little horn, becomes the beast of Revelation 13, if you remember. And the Bible says that beast gets his power from the dragon. All right? Row number 6, verse 24, under interpretation, speaks of this individual's or little horn will destroy to an extraordinary, I lost another word there, to an extraordinary degree is what that's supposed to be. And so I need to get my red pen out and mark that up. But nevertheless, Antiochus, could that be him? Well, 10,000s were destroyed, and that's the small number. The number went up to 40,000 of different resources that I read. So I think that's a pretty extreme number. The temple was destroyed on a grand scale could it apply to the antichrist well in chapter number nine that we'll get to next week of daniel it referred to it is, he's referred to as he shall make it desolate that's some extraordinary destruction going on if you leave a place desolate uh, row seven verses 24 and 25 under interpretation it says we'll destroy mighty men we'll destroy many while they are at ease or at peace we already looked at this a little bit he went in there on the Sabbath day knowing they weren't going to war back. It'd be a time of peace and he would destroy great numbers. That's Antiochus did that. There was a slaughtering of the Jews and even of the priests. And then for the Antichrist, what about him? Could it apply to him? Well, per chapter number seven, remember, he comes and he uproots three kings or kingdoms. He uproots three kings or kingdoms. And the Bible speaks in Daniel 7 that he overcame the saints and he, he, he wore them out for a period of time. All right? So, yeah, that could qualify. So you start to see while I kind of linger toward the idea that it could represent Antiochus. Some of this is, uh, you know, pertaining to Antiochus and the Antichrist and some of it just to Antiochus and some of it just the Antichrist. Whenever you speak of it happening in the last days, as last as being after the, 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 the reign of the Gentiles, yeah, that applies to the Antichrist. But whenever you talk about the latter times of their kingdom, the latter time of the four horns, yeah, that applies to Antiochus. But there's some of these things like this that apply to both. Destroying mighty men, both of them did that. Uh, or one did and one will. Okay, let's say it like that. So you get got to watch yourself. Probably you start talking in the present tense and everybody thinks the Antichrist is king. But uh, <laughs> row number nine, verse 10. I won't hold you much longer. I'm just going through this. The, the, vision, the vision was grows up to the host of heaven. Remember that questionable scripture. Cast down some of the some of them, some of the stars are related as perhaps Israel. Verse 11 magnifies himself to the prince of the host, which is God. Verse 25, the interpretation will magnify himself and oppose the prince of princes, which is God. The prince of all princes, of all principalities, is God. Amen. The devil himself is a prince and he's the prince of him. All right. Is, could this apply to Antiochus? Well, if the hosts and stars represent Israel, then did he cast them down? Well, yeah, to a certain degree, he desolated them. He, he slaughtered a lot of them. Uh, he presented himself as God in the name on the coinage. Everything that was done in the temple against the Jews, certainly, that was against God's people. You touch God's people, you've touched God. And we have scripture concerning that. All right? Uh, the Antichrist, could it be? Could this pertain to him? Well, again, Daniel 7, verse 25, he, the Antichrist speaks out against God. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 4, through 4, he sets himself forth as God. Read the scriptures. Uh, chapter 11 of Daniel that we'll get to later in 37 says, he will not respect God because he will magnify himself above all. Row 9, verse 12. Vision. A group will be persuaded and will discard truth and he will do as he pleases. The interpretation will prosper and do his will and cause deceit to succeed. And I'm not, I didn't put the whole verse in there. That's just kind of a paraphrase of it. And yes, Antiochus did do as he pleased for a season. I understand there was finally his death and the cleansing of the temple, but for a period of time he did as he pleased. Could it apply to the Antichrist? 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 through 12. The Bible speaks of his coming is all power, signs and lying wonders with all deceit so that those who receive not a love for or of the truth will believe in what? A lie. Is there persuasion there? Yes. Is there a discarding of truth there? Yes, yes, yes. Row number 10, verse 11, under the vision column, cast down the sanctuary in truth uh, for the Antioch Epiphanes. Could it be him? He defiled the temple, yes, by erecting a false god in it. 
called Zeus. He sacrificed a pig on their altar, which was unclean. So, and he left, no doubt, that, that temple in so much dis, disheveled and disregard. It was desolate. And the truth, remember the writing on the scrolls of the Holy Scriptures, so and so forth. Uh, could it be the Antichrist? He will pose himself a problem in the temple and require worship. And there's scripture for that. And you can read in the book of Revelation, the book of Thessalonians, there's scripture for that. I don't know why I didn't put that down. But he'll pose himself, himself a problem in the temple. He's going to make ruckus in the temple, folks. He's going to. And he's going to require worship. And role number 11, under interpretation, verse 25, will be broken without hand or without human agency again. Antiochus died of an illness, some horrible contracted bowel disease. And uh, could it be the Antichrist? Well, per chapter 2, remember again, a stone, uh, Jesus Christ, that we looked at, a stone that was cut without hands, what, came and hit those part, iron park clay toes, that tin confederacy, if you will, and then destroyed all uh, the metals and the kingdoms that were before. It was no more, and that stone became a mountain. And so they were destroyed by something that was without, that was carved out without hands. All right. Uh, row number 12. In the ending, uh, the vision and the vision, verse 14, in the vision, the sanctuary and the host of Israel will be trampled for 2,300 days. We already looked at this quite extensively. I lean on this 2,300 days being 2,300 days, and it marks up well uh, from the time frame of Antiochus coming in. He took away the Jewish priest. He set up his own, I'll call him a puppet priest. He did whatever he wanted him to do. His name was Jason. He set him up from that time frame until the temple was then cleansed again in the whatever it was, 1225, 167 B.C., I think, uh, then that took place. Could it be the Antichrist? Well, I guess we'll have to keep our eyes and our ears open for whenever we get to the book of Revelation, the rest of Daniel, to see if there's any correlation with 2300-day time period uh, in the rest of this. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you, and have a blessed day.